Welcome to The Source, investments podcast with industry experts covering the latest trends and insights in institutional investing. My name is Rich Dunellen, part of the investment strategy team and host of this podcast series. In today's episode, we chat with Kai Hong, managing partner and chief investment strategist at Bivium Capital, to get his insights on opportunities for small managers to attract assets in volatile times like this. We recently released a webinar with Susanna Hazley, part of Investments client success team. Susanna works solely with small asset managers to make sure they're getting maximum value from their investment relationship. The webinar focused on what she's hearing from some of her clients about how they're struggling with volatility related to COVID-19, and she provides some advice on ways to use investment to best position themselves to clients and prospects during these times. Susanna also reached out to Kai, asking him to join the podcast to get his take on how he and his team evaluate small managers, what they're hearing from clients about allocations to small managers, and the best ways for managers to communicate with them during the pandemic. As chief investment strategist, Kai leads the investment process and is responsible for manager research and due diligence, portfolio construction, and risk management. He ensures the consistent implementation and ongoing refinement of Bivian's investment philosophy and process by guiding strategy implementation, portfolio allocation, and investment optimization. He is also actively involved in client portfolio management, industry research, and product development. Prior to Bivium, Kai was a managing director and the head of investment management consulting at Thomas Wiesel Partners, where he oversaw the investment platform for the firm's institutional and high net worth clients. In that capacity, he was responsible for due diligence in traditional and alternative investments, as well as asset allocation and portfolio strategy. Kai was formerly a vice president and senior investment analyst at Northern Trust Global Advisors, where he was the lead research analyst for global fixed income and led the firm's emerging manager research efforts. Before Northern, he was an associate in Goldman Sachs' external manager of managers group. Kai has a degree in computer science and engineering and a master's of engineering degree from MIT. He is a CFA charter holder and a member of the CFA Institute and the CFA Society of San Francisco. Our conversation with Kai was great and very insightful for small managers looking for an edge in positioning themselves versus other small managers, as well as the bigger firms out there. So I hope you enjoy hearing from Kai as much as I did. Uh, so Kai, uh, thanks for joining. Um, if you could, before we start talking about the small manager trends, just give everyone a little bit of background about your role at Bivium Capital. Sure. Um, you know, thanks for thanks for having me, Rich. Um, at Bivium Capital, I'm the chief investment strategist and one of the managing partners. Uh, I uh, run the firm with my partner Lawrence Bancroft, and as the chief investment strategist, I'm responsible for you know basically maintaining the process, you know, advancing, you know, advancing it, overseeing kind of all the investment activities you know, at the firm, you know, engaging with managers, uh, looking over the portfolios, you know, making determinations as uh, to allocations, and then engaging with clients on you know on anything um, investment related there, and also kind of overseeing our our broader research uh, coverage. So I wanted to pick your brain today a little bit about trends you're seeing specific to small and emerging managers. Um, so what do you what do you see in your research, or what are you hearing from clients about the demand for small and emerging managers, and maybe touching on how the coronavirus pandemic might have impacted that? 
Sure. Uh, yeah, I think that with small and emerging managers, there's always been, you know, a a general uh, sort of let's say theoretical appetite for you know different you know different viewpoints. Um, you know, the idea going back to when I started looking into space in the early 2000s was you know there's more flexibility, right? Um, smaller managers can be more you know more nimble, um, and that will give them. Also, the advantage in adding, you know, in adding value as we kind of move through the you know, time frames, you know, uh, particularly starting in 2008 with the global financial crisis, I think that really uh, slowed down a lot of new firm formation because uh, things became a lot tougher for, you know, for uh, managers to raise assets, particularly in, you know, active. Know, strategies and you know through since then to now we've kind of continued to see you know, a little bit of a headwind. You'll have some incremental you know newer firms sort of starting up, but sorry, new firm formation uh, has fallen off quite a, you know quite a bit. Now for allocators like us, what that means is we have to be a little bit more creative in kind of engaging these firms. I mean, ultimately, we still believe that smaller you know firms can add value. And you know, on the Vivian side. Rather than focusing on you know the fact that a firm is small as an advantage, it's like well, what is it about being small that you know would give them any sort of advantage over a larger firm? And ultimately, we identify um, that as motivation, right? And ultimately, at a smaller firm, the you know the performance is going to be tied directly to professionals more distinctly, uh, and their success or failure will be felt much more directly. So it kind of sharpens the line, yep. if you will, um, and aligns the incentives a lot tighter than at a large organization. So I think those things are always there. It's just um, you know, with a lot of regulatory changes, um, the you know the landscape has made it a little bit you know tougher. I think for firms to go out, and then you know, kind of tying that into the current trends, and you know, with the market uh, selling off, with a lot of pressures being you know being put on these underlying firms. And it just becomes that much tougher, you know, I think, to, um, to, to be out there. And so, you know, what we, what we found is that we have to go through and engage, um, you know, a lot more proactive outreach, you know, to, to find the firms. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to kind of keep our pulse on the teams that might be at larger organizations, uh, who might be inclined to do something and then make sure we know who, you know, who they are, uh, and then go from there. So it's kind of a long-winded way to say there's a, there's kind of generally the interest, right? Um, but then again, you know, the ultimate allocations have been a little bit slowed down by a couple of these large shifts like the financial crisis, like mm-hmm. you know, COVID, and, and then the general challenges that active management have seen. Um, and, and so we have a bit of a chicken-egg problem, right, where if there's not a lot of, um, you know, Active allocations, then there's a little bit less incentive for firms to get formed and, and so on. But what we're starting to see is, you know, a little bit more proactive interest, you know, on the client side to want to support these areas. Um, and so, you know, for, you know, particularly certain areas of the, you know, the Illinois plans, um, some of the other large plans uh, in, you know, New York. California, who you know, who have historically been, uh, you know, supporters of the space, um, you know, are are 
kind of re-upping, if you will, and seeing how they how they want to get uh, engaged. And as you were talking, I was just thinking, do, do you have like a specific AUM threshold that you're looking at when you have a cutoff between small and, and not small? You know, internally, we, we always talk about merging and small and maybe medium managers, but we haven't really put a specific AUM band around that. How do you guys look at it? Yeah, I mean, we take a take more holistic approach to looking at AEM, so there isn't a specific cutoff. Okay. But practically speaking, the industry has always seen emerging as kind of two billion and below at a overall firm level. Sometimes it's three billion in certain jurisdictions it's ten billion. But you know, thereabouts, right? It's all two, you know, two, three billion. You know, for us it's really more a matter of again, kind of finding what the motivations are, the incentives. Mm-hmm. Tying it in, and so we have been allocated with firms that are maybe in the four or five billion range. Okay. Um, you know, as long as they start smaller, the clients are generally okay with that. But it it does it is kind of an ongoing conversation that we have with clients um, regarding this. Saying you know, certain asset classes, a four billion firm is not really um, you know ready for mainstream allocation, right? If it's say a large cap. Um, but in small cap, four billion is way, you know, way too much, right, for a, a firm to, to maybe be allocated. Um, and so, I think yeah, ideally you would have that kind of uh, you know, proactive conversation, you know, with your your clients. And I think some clients are starting to look at that, you know, starting to say, okay, well, you know, why do we pick two or three billion? Could it be five billion? Could mm-hmm. it be a little bit more nuanced than that? So we're starting to see some shifts. Is there uh, any sort of track record length that that you guys require or does it vary as well we don't require any track record length uh certainly if there is a track record even you know stitched together from a former organization okay. that makes it a little easier to kind of start the analysis because uh, the biggest part i think we try to focus on is developing uh, appropriate expectations for how a strategy is going to perform through different market environments and when you have a larger track record with more market environments, it's a little bit easier to suss out. But, you know, we've uh, allocated firms who have not had a lot of track record. And in those cases, you tend to then look at the underlying position, the holdings, and, um, you know, try to get as much data there as possible to get more of these expectations. Uh, in certain cases, we may continue to watch a firm a little bit longer, and, you know, after we've made developed our initial expectations, see in different environments, is it working out the way we expect before, you know, we kind of more um, engage more rigorously in potential allocation. Uh, but yeah, we, we try to, again, keep a pretty open mind and then, you know, put the onus on ourselves to figure out what we need to figure out. And um, I had a recent conversation with uh, someone from Institutional Investor who was talking about how smaller managers are going to be impacted by uh, COVID more so than large managers, um, where the large manager, someone's willing to write them a $100 million check without as much due, dil- due diligence because of who they are. Small manager, uh, that's not necessarily the case. What? So how has COVID impacted uh, your ability to communicate with with smaller managers? And what do you expect from them in terms of communication, especially now when it's you know, getting face-to-face time is uh, not possible. Right. Uh, no, I mean, it's a fair point that when we look at what could be possible here over the next couple of months from a diligence and allocation standpoint, they can understand that a lot of providers, consultants, you know, evaluators 
are going to probably shy towards the firms that they've either seen before on site or are more familiar with because it's, uh, you know, with everything kind of locked down, it's harder to kind of get in and do particularly the operational, you know, diligence aspects of it. And with a smaller firm, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to assess the infrastructure, right, making sure that they have the, you know, appropriate setup um, at given their stage of development. And that becomes a little bit more difficult virtually not impossible not going to come back to you know to that uh, so I think it, it is um, then incumbent on the firms to you know be proactive and be clear about what they are um, you know what they're looking to do how they're managing and I think particularly important is the sense of financial viability right um, I think that and we had a we had a webinar for all of our funded managers and, you know, and a select number of other emerging um, managers mm-hmm. early on in the crisis back yet, I think in uh, March when things were really uh, getting tough in the market. And we said, hey, look, you guys have to take a close look at your expenses and, you know, how you're managing those and make sure you proactively communicate to your clients how you're going to see this through, right? How you're going to manage your costs and that you're going to be an ongoing, you know, viable entity, you know, going forward. So at some level in, in our space, that was almost as important as communicating how you're positioned in the market or what trades you're making, mm-hmm. just to give people a sense that, okay, our, you know, AUM may be going down because the markets are going down, but we're going to see this through. Um, and so that was one of the things we said, you know, be proactive, make sure you get that out there, make sure you kind of, you know, you may think it's obvious to yourselves internally, but make sure you kind of try to settle that piece. Now, for us, you know, when we, and we had this um, conversation internally recently, uh, so as we go through the due diligence process now, right, we can do a lot um, virtually. And, you know, in our, pro- you know, our process generally hasn't changed that much, right? We've had a lot of calls with our underlying managers. We, you know, are in constant contact through various channels. What what gets missed potentially is as you're bringing on a new strategy is, okay, well, how do you do that final diligence, right? Yep. Normally our operations team or investment team would go on site, spend, you know, kind of half a day there picking the tires um, before you made the final rep. Okay. If you take that off the table to some extent, I think what we then have to do is how do you, how do you replicate that in a more asynchronous virtual way? And that is probably going to involve more reference checks, right? With um, groups that are familiar with this firm, more vendor checks um, in terms of uh, you know validating their you know their infrastructure and th- other things like that, um, in lieu of being able to actually you know get onto you know uh, on site uh, physically, mm-hmm. and you know and then kind of go from there. And maybe part of it is okay, well. This is sort of where, where we've got to. This is the level of comfort. Maybe rather than a full allocation, you start with a smaller allocation and sort of, you know, um, you know, go, you know go from there. Do you think uh, that virtual due diligence process is, is here to stay? Or do you think things will start to go back to the way they were once, uh, once the world has calmed down a bit? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to depend on the organization. I mean, I think there's going to be some that continue to, you know, send 
those all over. Um, I, I would say for us, it'll probably be a bit of a hybrid that, you know, this has kind of taught us and is forcing us to be very efficient in how we get, uh, you know, get the information that we, you know, that we need. And, and we started this discussion even before this crisis is, okay, what do you really want to get out of your on-sites, right? And let's not have the on-sites be just a check-the-box exercise that you could have accomplished through a conference call. Mm-hmm. Because, again, you want to be mindful of the time that, you know, particularly these smaller organizations are taking. You know, it's usually been a couple of months with us by the time, you know, we, we sort of get there. Uh, and so we don't want to, you know, waste time, right? And so what do we need to focus on? And I think as we you know, sort of go through these next couple of months. And we have some outstanding searches um, that, you know, that we're doing. I think we'll continue refining, as I mentioned, sort of that additional validation that you can do separately such that, you know, when we do get back to normal, whenever that is and whatever that is, um, that when we do, you know, supplement our diligence, it'll be that much deeper. Right? It'll be a real kind of additive feature mm-hmm. rather than, okay, well, you know, we just went outside. Yeah. Um, so you talked about the searches. Um, one of the things we look at a lot now is what we call potential searches and, and announced searches and uh, a tool we have called Market Lens. And you mentioned a few of the plans that you think will continue or increase allocation to smaller managers. Um, do you see that being a broader trend outside of a handful of plans that are looking to do that? Do you, have you seen a lot more activity for investors looking to uh, open a mandate for a smaller manager? Yeah, I mean, I think that we have seen some, yeah, I wouldn't say more, um, you know, more particular, you know, focus. Um, there have been, you know, there have been, uh, as I mentioned, the uh, client sponsors that have been early and active in the space. Uh, there have been other areas, particularly on, say, the corporate and the you know, endowment foundation side, which just take more rifle shot approaches to, you know, picking one firm here or there. Uh, outside of the, you know, outside of the mainstream. Um, and so, you know, I think where this gets a little bit conflated with some of the stuff we've seen more recently is this probably greater emphasis on diverse firms mm-hmm. um, and, you know, the, the desire from the investment community to, you know, probably be a bit more engaged in that. Uh, historically, emerging and diversity has kind of linked together yeah. to some extent because a lot of the diverse firms end up being the smaller, you know, emerging firm. And so I think that is what I'm hearing more, actually. So rather than emerging, it's a little bit more, okay, well, let's look for these diverse firms, which will kind of by nature be these, you know, emerging firms um, and getting a better handle on that. That's interesting. So I guess one last question around that then is, what are some ways that smaller managers can promote themselves uh, against some of these larger managers? And to that point, is one of the ways saying, hey, we're kind of by nature uh, more diverse? Yeah, I think that for a smaller manager versus a bigger firm, I think part of it is, uh, at least for us, right, hitting upon those elements that we talked about, right? You know, really um, being direct about motivation, being, you know, very transparent in, in terms of, uh, you know, information, sh- you know, information sharing, and then, yeah, highlighting the diversity, whether it's of backgrounds or it is of, um, you know, how you manage things or, you know, yes, if you have diversity at the underlying organization, I think that can only be a positive, you know, um, nowadays. And, you know, again, being pretty clear, you know, about that. 
Um, I think where where emerging firms have to maybe be a little bit different than you know the mainstream firms in terms of how they engage the marketplaces, uh, you know, for better or worse, they have to be that much more direct about how they're different, right? Mm-hmm. What are you doing differently? How are you going to add value for your clients or bring a diversifying viewpoint to your clients that, look, a large your organization is not going to do, right? Or is not here to do, you know, um, you know what specifically is it about you know, the firm that you should, you know, that should make people take a, you know, take a, another look. I mean, I think for a larger firm, you can, kind of, you know, a lot of people sort of take it for granted uh, and kind of feel that they already understand what they're getting. And if it sounds good enough, that's probably good enough uh, for a smaller firm. Uh, I think, yeah, you know, you got to be that much sharper um, to get over some of these, you know, some of these hurdles. Well, uh, that's all the questions I have for you. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think it's uh, really valuable to get, perspective outside of ours at investment um, for for clients that are using uh, our platform. So uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I hope you uh, stay safe through all this out there in the Bay Area. Uh, And uh, we'd love to have you on once the world has gone back to whatever normal will be uh, to hear how things have changed at that point. Yeah, no, I'd love love to continue continue the engagement. Um, You know, I think it's, there's a lot for us to all learn kind of collectively Do the work of diligence and how to kind of deliver the best outcomes for our clients. So, uh, always welcome the opportunity. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kai. Specifically for the smaller managers listening in, I hope his insights can help you better position yourselves now and better communicate with your clients and prospects. If you have any questions about anything we talked about in today's episode or just generally how investment can help you navigate these challenging times, please contact. Claire Spencer at investment.com. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to hearing from you soon. <laughs>